reading that. Um, you guys may not remember, I certainly do. It's been just over one year since I came to Chesterland. And it's been a great, glorious year, a year of, of joy for me. And so as we move into this topic, I think a lot about what Paul would say about the joy of seeing uh, the believers walk in Christ. And that's, uh, you guys have touched me that way. I know God has given a lot of joy to me being here. Uh, Sandy sends her greetings this Christmas season. Uh, she won't be up this month, and I'll be going back to visit her. Uh, Christmas Day, I drive home Christmas Day, but I'll be here all through the week. Uh, but as we start today, I want to say a couple of things. We, we're moving from peace to hope, and now we're into joy and the Christmas season. This is a great, great time. But when you think about the idea of joy to the world, one of the things I'm going to do today is I want to run through several things, some reflections on what joy is, the word joy, and then to talk about the difference, difference between joy and happiness that we live in a culture that sees it different than we do. But there's some things about joy that, uh, that Becky was reading about. There's a, there's a joy that Christ prays for you. That the relationship that he had with the Father, he, remember what she said, that, that God, I pray that they would have the full measure of joy that I have with you, that they would have with you. I pray that. And that, that, that's what Mary had. That, that joy abounding in her heart, that, that, that just outbursting of, wow, can't believe that. It's joy inexpressible. It's hard to get to. We're going to talk about the nature of joy and the things that make for joy. As we go through this, there's a lot of things here as we get into the topic. Uh, but, you know, this week has been a busy week for many of us. And so let me think, take you back real quickly how many people have you heard this week talk about the spirit of Christmas? They're in the Christmas spirit. They're in a joyful spirit. They're, they're thinking about Christ and thinking about Christmas. And how many people have you bumped into this week who've had the spirit of joy? Anybody? Uh, a couple of you have. I, uh, I haven't had many people. <laughs> uh, uh, I've been listening. I've been watching people in the, the gal at Walmart. She's... Uh, She's finally got their boss on an even keel. She's still as stressed as she always was. But uh, I went home, and I uh, went to a guy's garage, a Vietnam vet, and I cut his hair. He has PTSD. He's an alcoholic. He's really messed up. He would never set foot in a church because he didn't feel he's worthy. And we were talking about uh, an hour and a half and all the problems that flood his life just... Even, even as, as he gets old in the Christmas spirit, he's just so busy. Not bitter, but just... Mm. But there's just a lot of people that you run with that aren't happy. This week was a horrible week in Indiana. Some murders and some, some sad things, school shootings, and uh, just bad things happening. And so I'm aware of the fact that not everybody has joy this year. But what I want to do today is I want to help you flip the switch. If you're not in the Christmas spirit yet, I want you to learn some things today where Christ really wants you to have that Sabbath rest of saying, God, you are my joy. 
Everyone knows that Christmas time is a time when people get together and they, they eat food and get too much food and they, they get gifts but, and they pretend to like each other or maybe they do like each other. But some families are very stressful at this time of year. And there are families that are so broken that they don't get together. So it's also a time of pain. But uh, in between those long, uh, hard-working days and the short night of sleep and the busyness of getting gifts, gifts, there's a lot of stress going on. So the idea of joy is just, whew, can't wait till it gets over. <laughs> that's, that's the release. Well, let's go on. For the Jewish folks, they have a joy that they, they always celebrate this getting together as a family. There's a uh, 19th century Jewish essayist. His name is Ahad Ha'am. And he said this about the Jewish people keeping the Sabbath. It's an interesting quote. He said, more than the Jewish people keeping the Shabbat, Shabbat has kept the Jewish people. This shows the importance of the Shabbat or the Sabbath in the Jewish life. But Shabbat is a vision of what happens when the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes, the world is going to be put together with the eternal covenant of the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the one who's going to shoulder all the government, and he's going to be the wonderful counselor, and he's going to bring rest and salvation to his people. The Jewish community prepare for that Shabbat every week. Every week they get together. Every week they celebrate the Messiah's coming. Well, Shabbat is a vision of the world to come. But for us as Christians, more than Christians keeping Christmas, Christmas has kept the Christian. In the sense that this holiday of the birth of Christ shows that we don't look for the coming Messiah. We look for the Messiah who has come. It's not the world to come, but the kingdom that has come. And so as we move into this eternal promise of salvation, carefully wrapped in the clothes of a baby, the joy that the promise of this one brings, it's God with us, God Emmanuel. And so we know that we sing songs and this importance of this day that the redemptive work of Christ in human history is not just something that we long for, look for, it's something that's a current, present reality. Indeed, we, like the Jewish folks, do our rituals too, but sometimes we can lose ourselves in the rituals and forget the whole meaning of joy. For the Jewish folks, the Shabbat is celebrated throughout the year and keeps them looking for that coming kingdom. For the Christian, we hold that Jesus is our Shabbat. Jesus is the one who leads us into the rest. And we worship him throughout the year because joy in Christ has come into the world. And indeed, this is the message of the angels. Do you hear it? Do you hear what I hear? It's this joy, joy to the world. Well, have you ever wondered uh, when Jesus was saying that to the Father, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love, and if you keep my commandments, then you'll understand and grow and experience that joy of his love. And as I have kept my Father's commands and, and I remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy, the joy of Christ, 
Not the joy like Christ, but the very joy of Christ would be your joy. The idea that Jesus was joyful. Oh, he was really joyful. Now, when you think about Jesus, the man, have you ever wondered why this idea of joy of Jesus is not really an experience for a lot of people? For a lot of people, the Christian life is like grunt work. You've got to do this, you've got to do a Bible study, you've got to go to prayer. Gotta... For a lot of people, the Christian life is just a lot of work. But Paul would say that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, and then he throws that phrase, it's joy. And yet we don't hear a lot of that from a lot of Christians. The idea of the, the joyful Christian. But Jesus was a man of joy. When you think about uh, Jesus, the image of Christ, do you think of Jesus as being one who has joy? In uh, the Luke, the birth, uh, Luke talks about is the angels were singing, were herald, heralding the joy. And from the beginning of his birth, throughout the whole ministry, everything that Jesus did, he was joyful. Is that the picture you have of Christ? What adjectives would you use when you think of Christ? Well, he was wise. He was very controlled. He wasn't threatened. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was a man of peace. He was a friend. Uh, he did so many things. He endured so many assaults on him. But the idea of the adjective that Jesus was joyful? I mean, joyful? Does that come into your mind? Let me share with you a couple of thoughts. Remember when Jesus had sent out the disciples, and he was training the disciples, and he was sending out, I want you to do what I do. When I bring light to the darkness, and I bring uh, hope for the hopeless, and I, and I bring the healing. And he sent the guys out. And when Jesus heard their report... They came back and they said, he said, I saw Satan fall like heaven. I saw Satan, uh, the Satan was defeated. And he says, uh, Father, he says, at that time, when Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, he says, full of joy in response when he heard what people were doing, he was excited and full of joy in the Holy Spirit. And he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you have uh, revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. When Christ was working among the people, he was not only pleased to see that God was pleased, but he was joyful because he saw the Holy Spirit at work. He saw the people that he had sent out responding to the Holy Spirit. And every time Satan would fall, Jesus would go, yeah. And he would just get so excited. He was full, full of joy. And everywhere Jesus would go, no matter who he touched, he would just get that smile, that joy, that God's Spirit was at work. Remember the man who was lame and he got up and walked? It didn't say that he was joyful, but I bet when Jesus saw that man walk again, he goes, yeah, God, you did it again. Father, you did it again. The woman at the well. The, you go through the, the whole story, and every time there's a healing, you just see Jesus going, yeah, yeah. That's it. And when Lazarus came forth from the tomb, yeah, 
God was at work in human history bringing people back to joy. And it says in Luke 10, 21, it says he rejoiced greatly. And, and that Jesus, uh, it says he was exuberant in the spirit. Great, great joy, filled with joy. But the idea of, of, of passionate joy, yeah. Well, the word for joy, as you'll see, is agalal. Say that fast. But the word means much. It means jump. It's like mega joy. Jumping for joy. Is that the image that you have of Christ? Most of us don't. Too serious, too sober. And yet Jesus was really a cool guy to hang out with. Because when he was with you, he would focus on you and give himself fully to you because he would fully enjoy you. He would take his men away. And everything he would do, he never did without that sense of God's with him, the Spirit is with him, his friends are with him. And he, he enjoyed life to the full. Well, it says, uh, I praise you. Because not only would you do that work through the Spirit, but he saw God's, uh, he saw his disciples picking up the very joy that he wanted them to have. And as the disciples would go around the world, he said, the Father was passing on to the disciples that same joy that Jesus had. He was using those ordinary disciples to do the same work that Jesus was doing. And that must have thrilled him. It thrilled Paul and the Thessalonians that they too had become imitators of God. And they too were involved with him. The wedding of Cana, the healing of the man with the withered hand, feeding the 5,000, wherever Jesus would go, this idea that, yeah, that's it, that's it, he got it. My father's, he was just a man of joy. And yet, you stop and think about this risen Lord, even after the resurrection, there's an ordinary thing, an or, just a very ordinary thing. They hadn't found Christ that morning, so what was Jesus doing? Now, Barry would like this answer because Jesus went fishing. He went fishing. And the resurrected Lord of glory goes fishing. Why? Because he loved fishing. The simple little pleasures of life, Jesus enjoyed everything. It, this was his world. He made it. He loved it. He enjoyed it. And so he enjoyed catching all those fish as he got together and he prepared breakfast. Why? Because he was wanting his disciples to have a good meal. Fresh fish. And that he would, no matter what he did, he was a joyful man. Full of joy. So much so that the book of Hebrews, it says, you've loved righteousness and you've hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set, above you, set you above your companions, by anointing you with the oil of joy, NIV, the oil of gladness, gladness, joy. And this is the Lord. You loved, you loved to do things for people because he was full of joy to give gladness wherever he went. Well, but sometimes we miss that. I don't know why it is that these essence, this essence of the Christian life 
being full of the Spirit, being full of life, being full of Christ, being full of the joy that God had given to the Son, He gives to us. For a lot of people, we kind of miss it. We don't get that. And so I don't know why it is, but we continually fail to misunderstand or misappropriate this wonderful principle that God wants you to be full of joy. Let me give you a little insight that the Lord gave to me as I was talking about, thinking about the nature of joy. And our confusion in the West is we misunderstand and confuse happiness with joy. And there's a word that's new to me, uh, new to you. It's a German word I'll talk about. It's called sensucht. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But let's look at this thing of happiness and joy. We confuse joy with this happiness, and certainly there's a lot of overlap when you think about the delight and the pleasure that you get. You think of kids who just enjoy Christmas and that, 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 that bright eye and looking at the trees and wondering what that's all about. There's something about Christmas that brings out that delight, that, and yet there's something more to that than just getting the gifts. The word happy, here for you who like to do the word studies, happy means lucky, favored by fortune, being in an advantageous circumstance. So it's a happening or the happenstances of events. Things went well. I, I, I was happy. I, things went okay. And so, but you have to understand that happiness is an externally defined uh, control by the circumstances. And so a lot of times when we think about the word happiness, um, we also think about this word hap with mishap or haphazard or happen or happening. They're all circumstantial. And so if your circumstances are good and make you happy, you smile. But if they're not good, you're not so happy. That's not the word for joy. Joy is an entirely different word. It's the same feeling of pleasure and delight, of course. There's a source of pleasure and happiness, and there's your overlap. But there's a delight, an erotic pleasure, a bless, a bliss, a joyfulness. From the French, you see the word there is uh, gaudia. But these are expressions of, of sensual delight, of eating and drinking and merriment. The plural there. Inward joy, gladness, delight, source of pleasure. But it's from this root you get the word jewel. Rejoice, jolly, and enjoy. But that's still not close enough for the Christmas spirit. Because when we're talking about the joy of Christ, we're talking about not just the happiness or just the delight. There's something really different and this is what I want you to get today. This is the German word sensat. It's a, it's a word that, of course, we don't know, but it has to do with joy in a different sense. The word sensat has to do with the nature of the dynamic that takes place in the experience of joy. So follow, it's hard to translate this in English, and, and you won't find an easy translation. But I stumbled onto this when I read this guy named George MacDonald. And George MacDonald, you may know as the one who influenced 
this man, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the book Surprised by Joy. Of all the literature that he knew, no Christian got to him except for MacDonald, who talked about the joy of holiness. Well, Lewis read this book, and he read the book Fantastis. And in that book, one quote that George MacDonald said, it says, it is by loving and not by being loved that one can come to nearest to the soul of another. Yea, that when two love, it is the loving of each other that originates and perfects and assures their blessedness. The idea that joy is other-centered. Joy takes you out of yourself and into somebody else's world. The idea that sensect then, there's a, there's a message to this that I want you to understand. Because Jesus wants you to understand it. I, I want to understand it. I know you want to understand it too. And Jesus said last week, didn't say it last week, I said last week, that, <laughs> that, that if you would have known the things that make for peace, which the Jews didn't know, but you can change that peace if you would have known the things that make for joy. Do you know what makes for joy? This will, this will uh, cook your noodle. So let's look at this. A couple things. The thing that Christ wants you to know is, first of all, if you have your identity in Christ, solid and grounded, that you are His, that you belong to Him, you were created for Him, that you are the apple of His eye, He delights in you. And what you go through matters to Him. But that salvation means that He came to redeem you, to buy you back. You belong to Him. And if you understand as a Christian, you are free in Christ. You are cut off from the world. You're cut off from being a man pleaser, a woman pleaser, a people pleaser. That your focus is no longer on trying to live up to somebody's expectation. But you become a God-oriented person. Your security is in Christ. And he holds you with love. And the grace is there. The salvation is there. If you're born again, you are his. Your name is written in the book of life. And all that means is that if you understand what it means to be a Christian, not just in terms of the moral or the intellectual, it means that you are locked into a loving relationship with one who loves you with a love that you didn't earn, with a love you can't lose. That's your identity. That's who you are. I am loved by Christ. I am God's man. I'm God's woman. And that identity gives you part of that joy. But the second thing is, there's an intimacy. There's a friendship. When you look at this relationship with Jesus and the Father, that this relationship that they had is the same relationship that you are to have with the Father. Wow. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved. This is Hosea, the beloved Israel. And the idea that God's experience with Christ through the Spirit would be your same experience. That the intimacy that Christ knew is for you as a son or daughter. No less. 
no less. And that's why Jesus prayed, Father, would they have the full measure of everything that you and I experience? I want my men, those disciples, I want the world to have the same experience, that they would know that my joy would be in them, that your joy would be in them. Oh, that was, yeah, that's, you got to be kidding. Really? Really? Does God love Jesus more than he loves you? Silence. Doesn't that make you, you got to be kidding. Because God's love is full and fully focused on you. Incredible. That intimacy is there. And yet, to be involved with him, to be involved with his purposes, to know that you were created for his purposes, that the will of God, when you do the will of God, and you're doing it because you were created, gifted, and designed to walk with him, and when you're in the middle of doing what God wants you to do, you are completely full of joy. Let me tell you, how many times have I come to this point Well, I've learned that God's will for my life paraphrase, God is my life. When I step into that reality, there's nothing that will touch the core of my heart. There's a settledness inside of me that when I know that I'm doing the right thing before my Father, there's a security and a depth and a stillness. I've had it over and over and over and over again. When God called me to Japan, I said, you bet. I know I was built for this. When God called me to Mexico, I knew that was true. When God took Sandy and I through a loss of a child, when we were adopting little Rachel up in Michigan, and we had Rachel in our home for two months, and that little child won our hearts, of course. We couldn't have kids. We went through the adoption procedures, and here we were chosen, and this was the second child we were going through. And when Rachel came home, we had over two months, and, and so I know what you guys are looking forward to. There's nothing about the birth of a child that just, it's just a wondrous, wondrous miracle. And in two months' time, we said goodbye to the birth mother and had to take her back to court. The birth father showed up after 11 months, not involved at all, and the judge said he has rights for $256 and aid for dependent kids. Grandma was going to raise the baby. And we had to turn over Rachel and drive back. And the hope was gone. The little girl we were going to give our lives to was no longer with us. And so packing up her things to drive her back to hand over to the judge, uh, Sandy and I both learned that if we're doing the will of God, that God was doing something in us. And so the circumstances were such that I surrendered. Sandy surrendered. And God used those circumstances to teach us one thing. What we want the most, we control the least. What we want the most, we control the least. And knowing that God is in total control of everything we want, we knew he had allowed this pain to come into our life for the purpose 
of helping me learn that my joy was not in the circumstance of getting what I want, but in the circumstance of following God's will in all the circumstances. What we learned in moving through that, that whole ordeal was this, that one, that God was faithful and good no matter what we would go through. Two, that pain would never be the Lord of our lives ever again. That pain in the circumstance would never define or direct what we do. But if you're doing the will of God, there's a deep sense of peace. And let me tell you, I was broken that day. I was really broken on the inside. And I surrendered everything. I said, Lord, my whole life is yours. Whatever pain comes through my way, as long as I know that you're in front of it, I'll follow. And because that's the will of God, God used that. And what he did inside me was he filled me with a joy. And a joy that I can't explain. This is inexpressible. The ability to move in pain. Focused on somebody else. That was, that was awesome for me. And as a young man of 27 years old, 28 years old, I thought, I don't know this God this way. I don't know how to walk in pain with joy. I don't understand this, God. And so, but there wasn't the fighting. There was just, I know you're good. I know you're using this. And so I surrendered because his purposes were greater than my circumstances. Well, 10 days later, we were chosen again. Can I trust God again with my heart? He's going to throw it against the wall again. I have to go through this again. But you learn to trust that the joy is not just in what you get. The joy is something far greater than that. Which leads me to the, the sin-sucked idea. It talks about the importance of things. The importance of things, of the eternal things. Things that you really matter. Things like the Word of God, which is eternal. Things like people, which are eternal. But this idea of things. Things, things. We're so full of things. The idea that that. When, I, when Sandy and I got married the first Christmas, she gave, me, she gave me a gift that just surprised me. Our first Christmas gift, she gave, I gave her a couple of nice sweaters. And uh, I had her sister put them on because she's an identical twin. I knew they fit. <laughs> she liked these sweaters. She bought for me my first Christmas gift, uh, a single lens reflex 35 millimeter camera. And we were poor. We didn't have lots. We, had, we decorated an early attic and late garage. And, uh, and here we got this. Uh, I got this camera. And I never had received such an expensive gift before. And it threw me off. Like, she really went over. She, and what Sin Sucked does is this. Sin Sucked is when you receive something the gift itself is no longer the focus. When you receive a gift, the gift is a signal, a, 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 a message to look beyond the gift to the giver. The idea that sin sucked is an experience that you will have, not just the gladness, but it's a gladness, it's a message that will send you on beyond the experience to the very source of the giver. 
And this is what McDonald talked about. In his story, there was a man named Anodos. Anodos was on a journey. It's a fantasy story. But Anodos comes upon this forest of, of, of balls that are, that are clear, clear balls and uh, globes hanging on the tree. And there are thousands of them. And so he doesn't know what they are. And he goes into this forest and he breaks one. And as soon as he breaks one of these bulbs, the, the air is just filled with this aroma that's just, oh, he's so, he's delighted with this fragrance. And he just wants to run through and pop all the bulb, all the globes. Pop, 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 pop. And, and somebody stops and says, no, no, no. You don't understand, notice This is not about getting more and more of the same. It's when you get a gift, it's to remind you that there's something beyond the gift that if you're just focused on getting this experience, you're going to miss the very giver. And the gift of a stabbing pain, of a longing, of a heart, of a joy, of a, whatever it is, is a signal to come back to the giver. And that's what Anodos learned, is that you don't need all these experiences to be repeated. You just need one to redirect your focus back to the giver. Because if your focus is on the gift you're going to miss the giver. And that's what we do. Not just the importance of things, but things. the importance of things is the fact that you are given things to be reminded of the giver. And so oftentimes we get stuck in receiving instead of responding. The importance of eternal things. That God has given us everything to think about all of eternity. The kingdom is coming. And yet the idea that the importance of the immediacy, the fact that God gives you experiences on a daily basis and everything you go through, from your coffee cup this morning to a shower to putting on clean clothes to driving to eating to work to life on a regular basis, everything is a gift to you. And if you're stuck at this level, you're going to miss the joy of all the ordinary things that God sends your way to remind you of his goodness. You see, this joy to the world that Christ talks about, it's, it's the fullness of life. It's the fullness of joy. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus says, I've come that you would have life in all of its fullness, in all of its joy. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what he wants. And he wants you to have it to the full. So much so that your desire to be redeemed and brought back into that fold of the relationship with God was his very joy. And for that joy, it says in Hebrews, we fix our eyes on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, for the joy, for the joy, Whatever it would take to get you back into that relationship, Jesus would easily pay that because it was the joy of having you back. You are the desire of his heart. You are the joy of Christ. And therefore, he would go to the cross to bring you back. And therefore, to focus on the cross and not focus on Christ, to focus on the gift and not focus on the giver, to focus on this joy of grace... Jesus says, I want you to know I'm so filled with joy when you step into my presence. As the, as the woman who would lose her coin, finds a coin, she gets excited. The sheep that were lost, she gets a, the prodigal father, he gets, they're, they're all signs of joy. 
And for this joy, God's coming after you. You see, Jesus is our Shabbat. And once you're in Christ, you have all the joy. Because his joy is you. And you being restored. In him we find our rest, our salvation. In him we find our sin sucked. We move off beyond the very longing, the thrill, and we find it in him. And in him is my identity. In him, I'm involved with his purposes. In him, there's intimacy. And in him, there's importance. And everything that we have in the Christian life, we should be joyful Christians. And until now, Jesus said, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask, ask. He said, ask. So let me leave you with this invitation. As you move into the Christmas season, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with the joy of Christ. And he will. He will. More than your child. More than your circumstance. More than getting over some physical pain. Because this life is temporary. You may be happy, but the joy to walk with Christ, wow. That's your invitation. That's his call. That's our belief. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. Uh, and somehow we, we lose this just in all the busyness and the distractions and gosh, how much we need to really sit at your feet and see you enjoying us. Such a strange, strange thought. And yet we know that you have spoken these things to us so that your joy may be in us so that our joy would be made full. And Father, that's why we sing joy to the world. So Lord, would you come into our hearts and would you fill us with the joy of your Son? And would you come and fill us with the joy of your Spirit? And Father, that you would see us as the apple of your eye, and that you would be our Shabbat. Father, keep us in your joy this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.